A warm welcome on behalf of the Congregation of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, Kingston. Actually, it's probably you that's welcoming me back. Beatrice and I enjoyed a, a wonderful two weeks with our gathered family, and I, I want to thank Reverend Nancy for leading in worship during my absence. The fourth week of August already, as is our duty and our delight, we begin this new week of grace, remembering him who is a compass for every human life and healing for every human heart, none other than Jesus the Christ. So let us begin our worship of the Holy One in poetry and in music. Praise my soul, the King of Heaven. Our lives may be as frail as a summer flower, but also beautiful, touched by eternity. I read of a 16-year-old British student by the name of Octavia Sanger. She's produced a documentary recently. She interviewed 35 individuals from around the world, asking them questions about their experiences and emotions during the pandemic, what they felt and what they thought. Lockdown, they answered, for example, is valuable, isolating, relaxing, very necessary, boring, calm, I miss everyone, carrot cake, head scratching, send help, please. I was interested that one of the 35 people she interviewed was her village vicar, the Church of England, the Reverend Vanessa Cole but even more by the seven questions that she asked of the folks. They included school, work, exercise, the virus, relationships and family life, and faith. There is a spiritual dimension to these days, as there is to every day, to every emotion and experience. So we continue now with the Psalm of Old, that helps us 
articulate both the anxiety and struggle, but also the assurance and trust in God. I invite you to read with me responsively Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and answer me. I am troubled in my I am distraught by the noise of the enemy because of the clamor of the wicked. For they bring trouble upon me, and in anger they cherish enmity against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove! I would fly away and be at rest. Truly, I would flee far away. I would lost in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter for myself from the raging wind and tempest. And God will hear my voice. God, who's enthroned from of old, will hear. O God, I trust in you. Amen. An internationally acclaimed DJ found herself exhausted by the global tours and demanding work, but she wrote recently how it was her Christian faith that helped her keep it all together. She continues to feel anxiety and depression due to the stress of the work, but she says, I've learned to take my Christian pills. And she recently changed her name to blessed Madonna, a sense of being blessed in the midst of it all, in spite of it all, is at the heart of the Christian faith, slow to chide, swift to bless. We now hear two gospel readings bringing forward the words of our Lord himself, read by Christopher, Christopher who these past weeks and months, in fact since March, um, has made possible these online services, unseen at the computer and behind the camera. A reading from Luke and from Matthew. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first reading is from the Gospel according to Luke. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, 
Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to Matthew. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen, and thanks be to God for these readings of God's holy word. We continue with another hymn, one set to a traditional melody of England, with lyrics written by a Presbyterian minister who served in Baltimore and later New York City amongst all strata of society. It introduces two things that will be later picked up, that all nature sings, even if the wrong is oft so strong, that this is God's world. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be found now acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It was not until the age of 27 that Van Gogh turned to art. He had barely 10 years to move from his first lesson in painting to his final canvas before death. During this decade, these short 10 years, he produced over 800 oil paintings, but only one 
was ever bought. Now, a single canvas can be worth hundreds of millions of dollars and crowds the world over line to see his works. The artist and his art are filled with mystery. Imagine an art history student with her mother at the National Gallery of Art in Ottawa. The mother asks, so why, dear, did he cut off his ear? And the daughter replies, well, he had problems, mom. And the mother responds, don't we all, dear? Words like these, I believe, provide a clue to part of the mystery of why Van Gogh's art is found to be so powerful by us today. Van Gogh knew the inspiration and the suffering, the joys and the failures. He went through it all, and he put it all, this drama of the human journey, he put it all onto canvas for us to see ourselves and understand ourselves better. But there's another part of the mystery of Van Gogh and his art that I would like to focus upon, one that's often overlooked in our secular society. It's this that I'd like to explore over the, these last three weeks of summer, namely how Van Gogh celebrated the sacred. The father of Vincent van Gogh was a Protestant minister, as were his grandfathers and great-grandfathers. They were ministers of the same branch of the Church of Christ as we are, the Reformed Church, that part that grew out of the witness of Jean Calvin, the 16th century Geneva. In the fall of 1875, Vincent personally felt the closeness and claims of God. He experienced a conversion, a turning, and he felt called to share the good news with others. This assurance of divine forgiveness, this offer of personal salvation, this opportunity to know a new beginning by Holy Spirit. He wished to become a preacher, but couldn't meet the academic standards of theological college. And so, he chose to work as an evangelist, ministering in a more informal setting. But after a trial period, he couldn't meet the requirements of worship with the polished preaching and prayers demanded by the church authorities and was let go. Van Gogh remained, however, all his life, strongly spiritual, strongly Christian. In his letters, especially to his beloved brother Theo, Vincent continued to relate biblical quotations and prayers and remembrances of his missionary work, his struggles over contemporary religious views and traditional doctrines, and how he was growing in faith and how his faith informed his art. In a moment, we will ponder what is thought to be his last painting. But just the year before that painting, in June of the year 1888, Vincent van Gogh wrote to a friend, The Bible is Christ, for the Old Testament leads up to this culminating point. St. Paul and the Evangelist dwell on the other slope of the sacred mountain. He lived serenely as a greater artist than all other artists, despising marble and clay as well as color, working in living flesh. That is to say, this matchless artist made neither statues nor pictures nor books. He loudly proclaimed that he made living men, immortals. This is serious because it's the truth. And who would tell us that he lied on that day when, scornfully foretelling the collapse of the Roman edifice, he declared, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Moreover, as an artist, Van Gogh came to see more clearly and feel more deeply and communicate more effectively what the conventional religion of his day did not. 
that the whole world is infused by the sacred, that nature itself reveals the divine, that all of life is grounded in God. This is my Father's world, the morning light, the lily white, declare the Maker's praise. This morning I invite you to see this mystery, this spiritual dimension, in two of his paintings. The first painting is actually his last, and the second painting, his first. The painting, Iris, hangs in the National Gallery of Ottawa. His easel must have been practically on the ground to capture this lowly plant from this perspective. So humble is it, so solitary, surrounded by wildflowers and grasses, it's untended, almost abandoned. And yet it's also exuberant and alive. It's vibrant in color, practically filled by movement. There's a strong vertical sense of the leaves and the stem. In the very purest of ways, I find this painting spiritual. There's not a calmness, but there is movement. It's intense, even turbulent. There is struggle, but there is strength. There is strength in that humble plant stretching up, reaching out to the heavens, to God, declaring the presence of God in its praise of life. The smallest, most ordinary corner of creation is alive, rooted in the unseen. This lily is rejoicing and is revelatory of what is sacred. This little iris is a challenge to us. We who often come to God, if at all, asking and begging, give me, bless me, help me, Guide me, grant me, we say. As necessary a level of existence and relationship with God as this is, there is another, equally important and essential. To come to God not to ask, but to give. To stand before God not whimpering, but singing. To come to God not in guilt, but in gratitude. To feel not distant from God, but to feel created by God and therefore close to God. To leave aside all that others say defines our lives, the money, the misery, the sin, the sickness, and instead leave it all behind for a moment for eternity and rejoice. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Praise him widely as his mercy flows. And so we have a humble plant. And in the humble plant, I believe we have the humble artist himself. In an attempt to manage his crisis of health in between bouts of epilepsy and depression, Van Gogh voluntarily entered an asylum in a monastery just north of Arles in Provence, France. And from his room, he paints daily life he paints initially what he sees from his window, looking out onto the unkempt gardens of the asylum. Shortly after his arrival, in May 1889, he paints this iris. Like that lone plant, Van Gogh felt himself alone in a world that did not understand his personal eccentricities or his artistic innovations. And yet he continued on his pilgrimage to God. He felt this journey was not futile. He found peace along the way and he knew there was greater peace to be known. He continued to stretch out and up to the heavens and to another life, a life beyond one of struggle. And in the meantime, he found direction and meaning and celebration in the life he did know, so graciously given by God to all creation. The humble plant, the humble artist, the humble people. 
The early yet short experience of Van Gogh as an evangelist was formative for him. He worked among miners and poor farmers, and with them he shared the good news. In one of his sermons, he wrote, Jesus is the master who can comfort and strengthen a man, a laborer and working man whose life is hard, because he is the great man of sorrows who knows our ills. Van Gogh lived as he preached. He lived with care. He lived with sacrifice. There are testimonies that he gave away all his possessions to those in need, that he slept on a bed of straw, as did the others in solidarity, that he went into the mines to rescue the workers from the terrible explosions they suffered and himself was burned. His Christian commitment even drove him to the brink of exhaustion. He won the respect and admiration of the miners. Several came to Christian faith in the most dramatic of ways. His ministry was successful amongst them, but his life seemed extreme, extreme in zeal, and he was dismissed by the church authorities as inappropriate. Some five or six years later, looking back upon that time with those miners and poor farmers, he set a scene in oil. It'll be Van Gogh's first real painting. It's entitled The Potato Eaters of 1885. He paints these people without any sense of romance or sentimentality. He paints them with realism and with love. We have the sense in this painting of being in the intimate, lamp-lit space at table with a weary peasant family whose exhaustion and integrity Van Gogh knows well. Though it was panned by his fellow artists, this canvas remained one of his own personal favorites. It was a painting of life literally arising from the soil. The color of the earth overwhelms the scene. The people's faces and hands themselves are painted with what Van Gogh called the dark colors of a very dusty, unpeeled potato. The painting is a crawl, it's a cry to heed the hard life of many forgotten in the land. He's driven to tell others of their hard life, but much more, that their life is blessed. There's the strange sense that this meal of steamed potatoes, eaten in quietness and gratitude and shared with us, is sacred, almost sacramental. It recalls how the first Christians gathered together in his name to break bread, continued this ritual, have Christians ever since inaugurated by Christ himself. Sacramental in the way that it speaks the presence of God symbolically, without actually depicting either the person of Christ or any traditionally sacred scene. The characters are preoccupied with the meal, with their hunger. They don't engage each other. They even speak a profound loneliness but they're brought together by the warm glow of the lamp, reminding all with eyes to see and ears to hear of the gospel, of God's love of Christ, the light of the world. The humble one who offered rest for the weary and heavy laden, who himself pronounced God's blessing upon the humble ones, blessed are the poor, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. The Greek word in the original New Testament for poor is potokos. It's an ugly word in Greek. It means desperately poor. A poverty is described that is so deep, so chronic, that it's actually hopeless. It's a poverty from which the poor people themselves know they will never escape. They know things will never get better. Them. But Jesus said to them, You are blessed. He said, They are the ones to whom the kingdom of God belongs. He said that God's ways are not as our ways, and God has chosen to bless 
the desperately poor of our world, the lowly who live upon the soil, those who have fallen through the cracks of our societies and are held in greatest disdain by the wealthy and the powerful of our lands. Van Gogh preached the good news of God's love for the poor with art rather than pulpit as his chief form of religious expression. And a much more modern artistic vocabulary of celebrating the sacred in the midst of the secular, the holy one amongst the poor ones. Those with least, I hear Van Gogh declare, those with least live closest to God. And those who seek God must seek out and serve the humble ones and the poor among us. It was around this time that Van Gogh wrote, Oh, I'm no friend of the present Christianity, though its founder was sublime. He came to believe in God, a belief that was not a matter of the sermons of the preachers or the arguments of the seminaries, but rather a belief in which he knew God was alive, urging us not only to receive life, but to grow it in love, an irresistible force. Spirituality was less a matter of, of believing with mind than when living with love, following the way of Christ, caring for brothers and sisters with compassion, sacrifice, and justice. So this morning, in the life and art of Vincent van Gogh, and in the hearing and the believing of the gospel, I am reminded that God is the ground of all human life, the soil from which we arise. And that those who gather in churches have much to learn from those beyond the church who are seeking and celebrating the sacred in this world. And that the value of a life is not judged by the length of its years or by the popularity known. And that the human spirit is most alive not when it's free from struggle, but when it's well-rooted in God and it's free to grow in praise of God. And that human beings grow most fully when they grow in compassion and commitment to other human beings especially the poor ones, or as we will conclude this hour by singing, God, Creator, Christ our Savior, all are yours who live in love. Teach us how to love our neighbor. Lift us to your joy above. Amen and thanks be to God. We join now in prayer. A few thoughts, a few peoples in mind and heart are with me now 
With the people of Belarus in their struggles, I'm reminded of the gift of the freedom we enjoy. With the people of Mali in their uncertainties, political and economic, we're reminded of the gift of the security we enjoy. We lift up prayers of thanksgiving, as is necessary, but we also must lift up prayers for others. I think of parents needing to consider the education of their children in these coming weeks and the return to school. I heard a medical doctor on CBC this week reminding us that we've never lived in a risk-free environment and we never will. We must constantly be balancing all dimensions that make for health, including emotional and social, as well as physical. Just as Beatrice and I were leaving for two weeks with our kids, we heard of the terrible explosion in Beirut, Lebanon. And I lift up prayers for that people. And I think of the Presbyterian Church in Lebanon and the Near East Evangelical School of Theology of that city that trains Presbyterians for leadership throughout the Middle East. The Canadian government is matching all donations received till the end of the day tomorrow. So if you'd like to contribute online, just type in your search bar, Presbyterian World Service and Development, and you'd be able to do so. Sometimes struggles are sudden and dramatic, allowing us to respond with a sense of urgency. But sometimes the struggles are slow and quiet, and we need even greater strength to identify them and respond. This lockdown, I read, has led to a 9.3 reduction in humanity's ecological footprint compared to last year. Good news. But the fact also is that we would still need 1.5 Earths to continue our consumption of resources even at this reduced rate. Will we learn from this experience of living with less? Will we simplify our lives even more? Or will we revert to our former ways at great cost to future generations? There is much in mind and heart. Let us lift it all up unto our God, let us pray. Holy One, it is good to come together before you this morning, to call upon your name and to give you thanks. We celebrate the amazing beauty of space and the mystery of time. We celebrate your steadfast love that greets us every morning and your faithfulness that holds us through all the hours of the night. There is no place where you are not at work planting and giving nourishment for growth. In this garden of your care, we are grateful. We are grateful for artists like Van Gogh and composers like Marchand, and all who allow themselves to be inspired in every field of human life for our good and to your glory. In this garden of growth, we would become more faithful and we would live with greater integrity. O oh God, we are your people and we long for a world in which there is mutual respect and true justice. So now, Lord, we lift up our prayers for others. We bring before you the pain of this world, of those whom the folly of the strong has left sitting by the road those who haunt the streets of our city without a home of their own, those whose days are empty of purpose or thanksgiving, those whose nights are full of anxiety about what is to be, those whose bodies are failing and souls are weak. Hear us, O God, in this time of silence as we bring before you the pain of this world, the pain of our own families and friends, the peoples of Lebanon, Belarus, Mali, creation itself. Hear us, O God, as we pray.
O God, we come to you with those whom we have named because you have come to us in Jesus Christ and you are with us by Holy Spirit. We pray that throughout this blue and gentle planet, every creature might be respected, plenty might grace the tables of the meek, and peace might be the keeper of every city. Then this whole world will join in our chorus to praise you joyfully, God of glory, Lord of love. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and in his words, we continue to gather. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his favor upon you and grant you peace. Amen.